You're listening to episode 16 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to episode 16 of Chat About Children, where we chat about all things children and support and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today we are talking about autism spectrum disorders and really giving a bit of an introduction to this well-known developmental condition. I will have joining me Dr. Virginia Oliveira. She's a consultant pediatrician who certainly has a lot of experience working with children and their families who have a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. In today's episode, we're covering things such as the basic, you know, what is it and how common is it? We also look at any um, identified causes and the signs and symptoms that are often seen in the early days. One of the other things that we also cover importantly is early intervention and ways to support family, particularly siblings who do need that time as well from, you know, from parents and carers. So, Let's get this chat started and learn more about autism spectrum disorders. Joining me today is Dr. Virginia Oliveira. She's a consultant pediatrician with an expertise in various pediatric fields, including sleep, child behaviours and development, including autism spectrum disorder. For 10 years, she's worked in Sydney's two predominant children's hospitals and is now clinical director of Southern Healthcare Specialists in the Wollongong area. And that's just about an hour or so south of Sydney. Today, she's joining me to chat about autism spectrum disorders and to provide us with a bit of an introduction to this very common developmental condition. Welcome to Chat About Children, Dr. Oliveira. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Sonia. So autism spectrum disorders, it is a widely, I guess, recognized condition now. And over the years, I've found as a speech pathologist that I guess it's become more common. Can we start with the obvious question of what is an autism spectrum disorder and talk about how common or has there been an increase in previous years? Yes. So autism spectrum is called a spectrum because... As I tell the parents, every individual with autism spectrum is one individual. So there is a range of symptoms that vary in severity. And often autism spectrum can come with associated developmental difficulties. So depending on how much of the day-to-day living is affected or the amount of support that child needs, then that would define the the severity of the autism spectrum. And that's why it's such a wide spectrum, because there will be people that need more support from an autism symptoms point of view, but also more support from a developmental point of view. And people that have very subtle symptoms, they present with the symptoms, but they function in a day-to-day life very well. So what are those early symptoms or those signs that parents pick up on? And sometimes it's the parents that kind of feel like, oh, something's not quite right. What are the common signs and symptoms that might be picked up by a parent? And also, you know, what does a professional look for in terms of signs and symptoms? Yes. So... Autism is a combination of difficulties with communication, difficulties with social interaction, and difficulties with 
repetitive behaviors or restricted behaviors. And often these symptoms come with what we call sensory difficulties or sensory difficulties are ways that the human body connects to the environment and that in people with autism spectrum that can be quite distracting to their day-to-day life. So these are the main symptoms. They appear usually around between two years of age and usually that's when between two and five that nowadays most children get their diagnosis. And the earliest signs or the things that the parents can become related to difficulties talking, so difficulties communicating, difficulties with eye contact, and some children can present with some repetitive or we call motor mannerisms. So, for example, flapping their little hands or... Walking on tippy toes. Walking on tippy toes. So these are the more obvious symptoms. Yes. But as we were saying before, it's a spectrum. So yeah. some, some of those symptoms are very so subtle that they don't appear that obviously. Yes. And there are some children that are diagnosed a lot later because their early signs were so subtle. So do you think it's become more common? Has the number of diagnoses increased over, say, the last five years or so in Australia, if you can comment, or globally? Like, what's been the trend? So if we look at looking at the latest statistics, so one in 70 children are diagnosed with autism spectrum. And the last five years, so around five years ago, there was a change in the diagnostic criteria. And also, over time, there has been an increased awareness about autism spectrum with in community but also in amongst doctors so there has been an increase in the diagnosis so that often parents ask me oh do you think there's something genetic or environmental that is making autism more common and it's a hard question to answer but the consensus has been that what we're finding is that we are probably picking up or diagnosing the condition. We've been better in yes. identifying the difficulties because the, uh, we know that the earlier the diagnosis is made, the best outcomes and for the children in, in terms of their independent life skills and their development and inclusion in society overall. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Early intervention is definitely, definitely key. So in terms of causes, because I know, you know, parents will always, if a diagnosis has been made, the first thing you do is kind of say, well, why, you know, what's caused this and, and where has it come from and that kind of thing. Now, sometimes there is a family history. So some families might be a little bit more aware that perhaps, you know, my children are at risk. What other causes are there? So I think when you deal with a condition, and I don't like to call autism a disease because it's a combination of symptoms. So we don't know. So the hardest thing, I guess, is to tell the parents, look, these are the difficulties. 
and this is what we're going to work with, but we don't know exactly what causes it. It's believed and from what we know now that it's likely a combination of genetics, so your inheritance, but there's also environmental factors that could be playing a, a part on the cause. There's a lot of studies looking into it, particularly studies looking at the prevalence of, of autism in siblings and twins. And certainly for siblings and twins, there seem to be an increased risk compared to the general population. Mm. However, we know that it's not black and white. It's yes. not like if you a parent, say if you have a child with autism spectrum and you're pregnant, it doesn't mean that there's a 50% or it's not that black and white. Yes. But we know that there is a slight increased risk. And we talk about a percentage around 5% among siblings and twins. It's, you know, it's around 35, 36% chance if you are a twin, a non-identical twin. Yes. Which, okay. if you think about it, it's, again, it's higher than the general population. But, yeah. again, genetics is not a definite, you know, there's probably not playing a part alone. But there's in this process, but we there's so much we're learning. Every day we're learning about it. It's fascinating. And the thing that I tell the mums and dads is that, I guess, not knowing the reason, it can be a comfort because mm. in actual fact, um, the least we want is for parents to feeling guilty yes, or to feel that they've done something from an environmental point of view, an exposure to something in particular or, you know, an inheritance because all the family, well, lots of family members have autism spectrum. It's right. We want them to embrace and actually take away the, that sort of guilt from that. So in a nutshell, no, we don't know the cause. Yes, yes. And I think what you touched on earlier that every child is very individual and personally having worked with children on the autism spectrum, they're so different and they bring such different strengths. And I think that that is the part that you know, professionally, I know other colleagues find that so amazing that yes, there are areas that need support, but there are amazing strengths as well that can certainly be fostered to help that child reach their potential with their life skills. Would you agree with that? Oh, certainly. I think every child, it's, I think I feel very, very fortunate to work with a lot of people, a lot of children in the spectrum. And I always say to the parents that children have skills and strengths that no neurotypical person could ever develop. Mm. Because the way they see the world is special and different and beautiful they've got amazing memory skills a lot of them and have incredible building in visual skills and a lot of them you know yeah sometimes hard to describe but a lot of them are fantastic with drawing and lots of things and if we look back and something that I encourage the parents to do is to do a bit of research and look at how many of the greatest minds in the world uh, actually did have autism spectrum. And yeah. even actors, people that, celebrities, and 
incredible actors and scientists they have autism spectrum so it's look as you said there are challenges but certainly a lot of beautiful strengths yeah absolutely absolutely and i think initially you know it can be quite frightening for parents and the frightening part i imagine would be just you know, discussing prognosis, that unknown, and because it is a spectrum and everyone is so different, how do you go about talking to parents about, you know, prognosis? Because obviously there's a lot to process. You know, as a parent, you hear a diagnosis and you kind of think, you know, or imagine that your child will have a future that will look like, you know, ABC or something like that. And having a diagnosis kind of throws all that a little bit. And then you kind of think, what does this mean? And how is the future going to look for, you know, my son? And it gets a bit scary. How do you respond to the prognosis question? Because it's hard to know sometimes until that, you know, we know early intervention is key, but it is hard to know their potential, isn't it? Until they kind of start that process. Do you have anything that specifically that you say or discuss with parents regarding prognosis? Yeah, so I guess for every parent, so one of the first things I say to them is that, look, as a parent, you're always going to be concerned about your child's future. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what condition they have and how much autism symptoms they have, how much neurotypical, how neurotypical they are, or and it's the parent's role to be concerned and for them to try and exercise the fact that it does the the diagnosis doesn't change who their children are and it's not going to change who their children are and how that's going to change them being parents and you know how is this a natural thing to be concerned. Yes. So I usually try and the other thing I try to encourage them is after the diagnosis is made for them to take a couple of days and not think about anything else but talk to each other and have a little break, talk to the siblings, talk to their friends, ask for support. And then I usually book an appointment for a catch for another catch-up yep. because what I see then will say, all right, we had a bit of time to go through that, that process. And then we talk about, okay, what we need to do next. And so for a lot of parents is dealing with their own anxieties in their own, you know, their own, you know, how they see, up, you know, bringing, you know, raising a child and try not to think too much ahead. Yes. Because in actual fact, I always say to them that, because they all they will ask me, Doctor, is my child going to talk? Is my child going to get married? Is my child going to have a job? Mm. I would say, I usually say to them, at the end of the day, could can you answer those questions if he didn't have autism spectrum? Yeah. And they will often say, Not really. Yeah. Yeah. So we can't say, can you? Mm, mm. You can never say, but I guess it's harder for parents, obviously, because they always will believe that because autism is a condition that's a lifelong condition for most patients, that this possibility is less likely. But in fact, they're not. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I always phrase to them, and that's why it's important early intervention, is that the more we work with their development, sort of on the background of obviously working with their challenging behaviours, the more we work with their development, the higher the increased chance of inclusion in the community and working and getting married and communicating and so on. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned support and aside from yourself, here in Australia anyway, we have, you know, resources and support groups and things like Aspect, like Autism Spectrum. Are there any other websites or resources that you often recommend parents to look at or do you let them just do their own kind of internet searching, which isn't always the best idea? Do you have recommended places that you say, look, check these sites, they're more kind of reputable? Yes. So I suggest Aspect. So www.aspect.org.au have very interesting and very easy reading for parents about what autism is, the causes, a little bit of what we talked about today. And also there is, through Aspect, you can get some support on the first few days after the diagnosis through the autism advisor. Mm-hmm. So there is a helpline that you can ring and book in a, you know book a chat. There's also workshops through Aspect that the parents and siblings can attend. And one of the things that is very important is support the siblings, particularly the children that are a bit older. So if they yes. have a younger sibling with autism, just for just for them to understand. Um, what the condition is. So there are some educational opportunities through Aspect. The other website that's helpful is Raising Children. Yes. RaisingChildrenNetwork.org. Also very interesting, not only for autism spectrum, but of other conditions. And a very light and very interesting reading that I recommend not only for parents, but also for colleagues is the Australian Autism Handbook and I think there is a, a new edition. And it's probably a weekend reading that they can have over a cup of coffee. And it talks about what autism is, what the services are there, what's the evidence for for different types of intervention, and also real-life stories of families and how the mother feels, the father, how the siblings feel, who to talk to, do we talk to who to share that information, schooling options, what does it look like as are the future brings. So it's it's a really lovely reading. So I do highly recommend that as a source of information, but also in a way a source of comfort for the families that are more anxious. Absolutely. So that's the Australian Autism Handbook. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And I think you're quite right in terms of being very aware that when there is a child in the family, regardless of what diagnosis they have or don't have, but when there is a child that does have additional needs or additional support required, it can be a real challenge for parents and carers to work on the dynamics and support the siblings. Do you have one thing that comes to mind as recommendation of one of the key things to remember when supporting siblings? I guess, yes, the thing to remember is that looking after a child with autism imply, you know, brings a lot of difficulties and rewards as well. And often there are, you know, assessments, pediatrician appointments, 
in early intervention, so speech therapy, occupational therapy, psychology, so a whole lot of appointments, plus all the day-to-day busyness that it is raising children. So sometimes siblings can be felt left out. Yeah. So this is often a conversation that I have openly with the parents and how is your other child dealing with this process? And they would say, oh, look, I feel guilty because I haven't had time to give attention to my older child. And we talk a little bit about some strategies. It's not easy. As a mom, I know how difficult it is sometimes to share the time between one child and another. But even having a protected time between the parents and the sibling without the child with autism, where they fund things together without having to share their attention. So they feel that they have an exclusive attention as well. And it doesn't need to be long. It can be, you know, um, a little trip to the park or watching a movie together or going to the library or something simple that if there is a time where that sibling can be removed from that day-to-day business, having that exclusive time with the parents. Yeah, it helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely good advice. So we've talked quite a bit about autism and I feel we've given a good introduction to our listeners. I wonder what your take-home message is to parents and or professionals that might be suspecting a diagnosis of autism. What's your take-home message to that group? And even those who might just have a recent diagnosis of autism, what's the key thing that you'd like for them to know? So I guess... Being a paediatrician and um, dealing with the families from the time of their first concerns to the time of their diagnosis and also following them up, I always, so one of the key messages is try and find, you know, a paediatrician or a GP that can be that person to coordinate your child's care. Yep, case manager, yep. Someone to case manage, yes, yes. And even to be that person to say, look, and it's something that I encourage my families to come in and see me once every six months or, if, or once every 12 months, even if it's just to for a quick catch up where we go through, you know, health and schooling and how things are going. And so having one person to coordinate care is helpful and be gentle to themselves and trying yeah. to have a bit of time as family trying to remove themselves as as an individual, as a parent, but also as a family. So trying to take some holidays sometimes, enjoy time as a family. I think that, and then if they, they, in terms of, sorry, I didn't respond to your first question. So if a parent is very concerned, so have a chat to their GP about it. What the GP would then do is to, look for a local pediatrician yes. to have a chat about it, go through some of the symptoms, and then the pediatrician will be able to engage other services to go through the diagnostic process in therapists and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. No, that all sounds amazing and proactive, and I think that's really what we need to remember is taking that proactive step. And look, it, it can be challenging, and I think you've seen it and I've certainly seen it that every parent or family are at a different stage of acceptance or understanding, you know, are they, what might be going on for that child. 
Some are ready to take action straight away and others need just more time to process everything before they take action. But yeah, certainly that message is is reassuring that early intervention is important and it does have really positive benefits and that there is support out there. And I think, it, you know, that's reassuring for those who are listening who are just a bit overwhelmed and intimidated by it all. So there is a lot of wonderful supports out there. So thank you for reinforcing that and for reminding us to as parents to be gentle. I think that goes for all parents. Be gentle with ourselves, <laughs> be yeah. patient with ourselves and to remember to, to you know, make time for quality family time, which is important. So thank you yeah. so much for your time today, Dr. Oliveira. It's been an absolute pleasure and I appreciate you joining Chat About Children today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And that was my chat with Dr. Virginia Oliveira, a wonderful um, and very wise consultant paediatrician who really has a lot of uh, wonderful expertise to offer you in terms of um, some proactive steps to take um, and also some reassurance. She did mention a couple of great resources. The um, Australian Autism Handbook was one of them uh, for the listeners who are in Australia and also the Autism Spectrum Australia website, which of course anywhere around the world you can access www.autismspectrum.org.au and it has a wonderful array of information there. So coming up next episode, I will be chatting to a psychologist about behavior management uh, with our children. And this is a huge topic, a very, very popular one and a discussion that I have with fellow mums um, and with you know colleagues at work and families at work. So uh, you'll have a lot to gain from uh, the next episode coming up when it comes to behavior management and your children. So make sure you tune in for that one. If you've enjoyed today's episode, I would love for you to subscribe to the Chat About Children podcast, leave a rating and a review, and also feel free to visit chataboutchildren.com where there are some wonderful resources that are free uh, for you to um, have a look at and gain some value from. Please do share this episode with family, with friends, and with colleagues who you know may benefit from the information provided today. And of course, I celebrate you as always. Take care and I look forward to chatting soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. www.chataboutchildren.com.